Good morning. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here. It's a joy to gather with you and a joy to gather underneath the Word of Christ along with you as well. Please be in your Bibles, Mark, today, chapter 3. It's where we will be. There are, at least in the, in the Bible Belt where we live, there are churches on every corner. And each of these churches have their own set of beliefs, their own set of practices, and their own purpose. And tragically, not all of these purposes, or not all these churches are taking their cues from the Bible. So there's a lot of variance out there in terms of what a church is and what a church is doing. The Bible is the authoritative source where churches must get information, gain definition, their characteristics, what, what defines them and what makes them up and what, what gives them their purpose on this planet. And this is something that we cannot afford to get wrong. Why? Because our joy and our life and the glory of God depends upon it. Our joy depends upon getting the church right. And the glory of God depends upon it. Not that God's glory is ever going to be taken away from Him. He is the supremely unapproachable one who dwells in unapproachable glory. His glory is forever. It's unchanging. The question is, will we reflect His glory? Will we be the church, to reflect His image back into the world. We're called to be like the moon, shining, radiating, not the light from ourselves, but the light that comes off of the sun. And churches that leave the Bible, that leave what the Bible calls us to be, it's like a, it's like a moon that just, that just escapes its orbit and it flies out of the solar system and, and it no longer can then reflect the glory of God and the sun to a dark world. And this morning, we're trying to gain some clarity about what is the church supposed to be and do and I've got three defining, orienting truths that we see in our text today. I'm not going to cover everything about what it means to be the church, but here are certainly three broad paint strokes of truth. Number one, Jesus commands us to worship Him as the Son of God. Number two, Jesus calls us to love one another as the people of God. And thirdly, Jesus commissions us to go into the world for the glory of God. If we can get these orienting truths deep into our system, we will be well on our way to pursuing joy and life and a church that would properly reflect the glory of God in this world. Let's pray for the Lord's help as we dive in. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you are a speaking God. A God that opens ears and a God that empowers us to respond to your word in a way that would please you. We ask for your spirit now 
to come, to convict, to comfort, to use your word to glorify your son. Would you take these moments and shape us as a church that the cup of our joy may be filled to overflowing and that your name would be exalted both here and in the world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The first point, Jesus commands us to worship him as the son of God, verses 7 through 12. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. You saw last week there was controversy in, in the synagogue. They're leaving the city out to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from all around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. We begin, at least in this passage, we're seeing what not to do. This is two negative examples, what it does not mean to worship Jesus. Jesus is calling to worship him as the son of God. And here are two examples of that not happening. The first has to do with material blessing only, physical blessing only from Christ. News of the Messiah is spreading from the north into the south, into the east, into the west. Mark is making clear that word of the Messiah is spreading. His fame is spreading all across the globe and people are flocking to him. They're flocking to Jesus, but... They are not coming to Jesus like the wise men came to Jesus to give Jesus some gifts and to fall down prostrate before him and to worship him. That's not the way that these crowds are coming. They're coming to get something from Jesus. They are not interested in worshiping Jesus. They're interested in getting something from Jesus. They are so concerned with their selfish ends that they might even put Jesus and his life in jeopardy. They might kill him. They want their goods, even if it means destroying Jesus. That's why Jesus says to his his disciples, his boys, hey guys, I might need to pull a James Bond here. Get me my escape boat. Have it ready. Once these crowds come, it's like a stampede that's going on right here. It reminds me of 4 a.m. at Walmart on Black Friday. If you want to spare your life, do not go to Black Friday at Walmart at 4 a.m. You might get killed. And that's what's going on with Jesus here. He's going to get killed by these crowds who are pushing everyone to try to touch him that they might get a healing, might get a blessing. Let's be clear here, though. God loves the physical body. He loves the material universe. He created it and he said it is good. He stamped it with value and he stamped it with value ultimately when he made man in the image of himself. God loves the body. 
And is it wrong to want healing from Jesus? Is it wrong to want some sort of material blessing from Jesus? Absolutely not. Jesus is our king who supplies everything for our good. But it's wrong to want those things only or merely at the expense of or without desiring relationship, without desiring worship. Heal my body, but I don't want to worship you. Give me clothing and shelter, but I don't want to worship you. That's wrong. Treating Jesus like a miracle worker only, that is wrong. Right? Jesus cares about the physical body, but he cares also for the spiritual body. That's why we're told, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? We can come to Jesus as the one to supply our physical needs, but, but that and come to Him as the forgiver of sins, as Lord and as Savior. The second issue here, the second mistake, is having correct theology. Correct theology does not mean worship. And we see that with the demons here. When they come in contact with Jesus, they know exactly who Jesus is, and they call out, you are the Son of God. They get it right. They get it exactly right. They know something about this man. There's something very unique and special about this man. We see this fully in Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. That is the Son of God. God incarnate in the flesh, and the demons know it. But are the demons worshiping? Are they submitting? Have they surrendered their wills? Is there affection in their hearts for Jesus? If demons have hearts, I don't even know. There's no love. There's no surrender. There's no obedience to Jesus. But they get it right. We need to be this militant about the truth of Jesus as the Son of God. This is the truth that we stand on as a church. We stand on Jesus. And we fight for this truth that Jesus is God, fully God and fully man. And in our time and in always, this is the truth that is always under fire. Always going to be under fire. And we must fight for it with all that we have to preserve this precious truth. Revealed to us in the Scriptures. But having that fight won, we must worship as well. It is not enough to just clarify that truth. It must lead to worship. Worship must be applied through that truth. 
Otherwise, there may be even evil, which we see mixed in here with the demons. When they name Jesus here, there's, there's evidence that this is, this is an evil statement that they're making. It's truthful, but it's evil. At this time, naming things was a way that you would declare power over something, authority over something, like Adam naming the animals. And so they're naming Jesus like they're in control, like they're in authority. And that's why Jesus silences them. You're not in charge. You're not the one to disclose who I am. You're not the one to name me. I am the one to name myself. I will self-disclose myself at the proper time. And so to summarize this first point, we must worship Jesus. That's above having material or physical blessings, and it's beyond correct theology. Let's center Jesus as the God-man in our hearts and in our lives. That leads to love, to trust, to surrender, and to obedience. Secondly, Jesus calls us to love one another as the people of God. Verse 13, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach." And have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges. You did that better than me, uh, Christian. Uh, That is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the son Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We've seen in Mark that Jesus is actively calling his disciples. He's been calling them by name to be a part of their crew, to be a part of his disciples, an individual to a group. And he recalls these individuals, and he calls 12 of them, and he says, Come up onto the mountain to be with himself. Now, why does Jesus choose 12 disciples? Why 12? Why not two? Why not all the disciples that he's with? Why 12? This actually points us back to the beginning of creation. The beginning of when God created Adam and man and he called them. and He's created this family, this people of God to be on the earth, to fill the earth with worshipers. And sin gets in the way. And then God calls Abraham. He says, Abram, I'm going to bless you. Gives a promise to Abram, I'm going to bless you and your people. And you are going to be a blessing to all the world. Abraham has son Isaac. Isaac has son Jacob. Jacob gets his name changed to Israel. Israel, he has 12 sons. These are the 12 tribes of Israel that you might have heard. It's no coincidence that Jesus is now choosing 12 disciples. There's something new going on right here, global going on, even cosmic. It's a people that God is forming through Jesus. Jesus is the faithful Israelite now, and he's doing this whole new thing, a new humanity to be the people of God. It's not built upon ethnic or ceremonial lines or political lines. It's built upon faith and union with Christ. We see this in 1 Peter 2, 9, talking about the church. 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a people of God called by name into a people, a humanity, a new humanity. It's received grace and mercy. To make this even more clear, I was helped this week by R.C. Sproul in his commentary connecting the calling of these disciples, that word calling, with the actual root wording of the word church. What does the word church mean? Where does that come from? The word is ecclesia. Ecclesia, what does that mean? It does not mean four walls with a steeple. And it does not mean, in our context, a field next to a steeple. That is not the church. That is not what ecclesia means. It's, it's actually, it comes from two words, ek and klesia. Ek is, means out of or from, and the klesia comes from kaleo, which is a verb. A verb that means to call. So out, out from, and to call. In other words, the church is the called out ones, plural. In its very wording, the church means the called out ones. There's a, there's a calling and a calling out, a calling to Jesus. Come up on the mountain. You're going to be separate from the rest of the world and the things of this world, but you're called out as the called out ones. We are called to leave the ways of this world and to join together as God's covenant people. The church is a family. It's a real family, which has even greater context in the first century. We lose, we lose a little bit of that power of the family in our day and time that's Western and so built on individualism. But in, their, in their day, family was everything, and that's what God has called us to be. And as that people, we are to love and to care for one another as family. God is our Father Jesus Christ, our elder brother, and the church is our brothers and sisters. We are family today, and we are called to act like that and to treat each other with that type of honor, that type of respect, and that type of love. So Jesus commands us to worship Him as the Son of God. He calls us into the people of God to love each other, and He finally commissions us into the world for His glory for the glory of God. Backing up a bit, verse 14, he appoints 12 who he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. What is Jesus doing with these 12? They're going to become apostles and he is sending them. Again, we look back across the whole scope of the Bible. Adam and Eve were commissioned Fill the earth with worshipers. Sin gets in the way. God's going to do it through Israel. Fill the earth. How are you going to do that? You're going to be faithful to God. You're going to be obedient. And in that way, the nation of Israel is going to stand out and be a light to the whole world. They, of course, fail. Jesus is the one who comes to be the faithful Israelite who is obedient. 
And it's through his obedience that now the light goes to the world. And Jesus here, unbelievably so, is using the church to do it. He's calling these apostles to carry on his mission, to bring light to the world, that the whole world would be filled with worshipers. These apostles, they are uniquely chosen, uniquely called by God, given a unique responsibility and a unique role in redemptive history. The church would be founded upon these apostles as our leaders of our church. Ephesians 2.20, the church built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So they are unique, and we don't share We don't share their uniqueness as apostles, but we do share their mission. We don't share their authority that they had as apostles, able to interpret Scripture and write Scripture. An incredible power to cast out demons and heal. We don't share that exact same power, but we do share the mission. We are not all apostles, but we all are ambassadors for our King. He is sending us. That is the trajectory of redemptive history. Jesus, apostles, the church, to the world. The good news of Jesus Christ going to the world. 1 Peter 2.9, again, purpose statement, that you may proclaim. You're a chosen race, why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. There's a proclamation that has central importance in terms of your purpose. And, verse 12, being holy that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. There's a proclamation of the gospel and there's a demonstration of the gospel as we go in love and service and good deeds that glorify God, adorning the doctrine. As the crowds in our text today flock from all over north, south, east, and west to come to Jesus, so we, church, receive the great commission from our King to go back from, to the north, to the south, the east, and the west. We've, we've come up on the mountain. We've separated ourselves from the world and from its ways, but we're not staying there. Jesus turns us facing back out to the world. Now go Go in the authority of Jesus. Go in the sovereign power of Jesus and declare the good news of Jesus and do good works in His power. Carrying this torch to the ends of the earth. We are to be church like this little statue. I don't know if you've seen it in downtown Cary. It's a little newsboy. He's sitting there right on the, in the main in the main intersection of downtown Cary, he's sitting there, he's standing, he's holding up a newspaper. And that newspaper has one big word written on the front of it, and it says truth. And he's holding it up, and his mouth is wide open. I don't think hollering that the, for the price of the paper, no, he's hollering the truth that's written on the pages of this newspaper so that everybody may hear and know it. We are that. We are a proclaiming people, a sent people 
on the mission of Jesus to declare his kingdom. It's like Piper says, missions exist because worship doesn't. We're going because worship is not happening. Because joy, eternal joy is not out there in the world. We might go across the seas, but we might also go to our neighbor, our cul-de-sacs and our cubicles. We are in the ends of the earth right now. We must have this forward, outward-facing mentality that's associated with our identity as the church. That might feel like a tall order. I know it does. It can be scary and intimidating to live on mission in that way for King Jesus. But you know what's in the back pocket of that statue? That little boy? You know what's in its back pocket molded right there? Is a slingshot. There's a slingshot in his pocket, which draws us back to the symbolism of David, the little shepherd boy, who depended not in his own strength and not in the strength of the armor that could be provided by man, but in the strength of Almighty God. And it was with that slingshot that he took down Goliath. And it's us today not resting in our strength. If we look there, yes, we will be afraid. We are bankrupt of strength. But when the Spirit of God empowers the people of God with the truth of God, We conquer and defeat giants that lay before us. We advance the gospel. Jesus and his mission goes forward. These first apostles were not much to write about. They were a ragtag crew. They were a stumbling crew and always having to learn type of crew. And yet Jesus calls them. It's not their resume that sets them apart. It's the grace of God that sets them apart. It's the grace of God and the Spirit of God that sets us apart today, that empowers us to worship Jesus, to love one another, to reach the world for His fame. It is grace today that is calling each and every one of us by name into fellowship with the Son, fellowship with the people of God, and on this glorious, glorious mission. May we, church, not miss this. May you not miss this. May you not live for anything less than that. May our church not be about anything less than this. Because again, this is where our joy lies. And this is where our reflection of the glory of God belongs. Let's do it, church, by grace, by the Spirit of God. Let's pray for the Lord's help. Father, we thank you, God, for your orienting truth this morning to help steer us on the right path. We thank you, God, that we have a word from somewhere else that tells us who and what we should be and do. We ask for the grace now, God, that you would sow these seeds in our hearts individually And as a corporate body, God, that we would be a church that is about your mission, that is about worshiping the Son and making Him, making much of Him. And may our community, God, this faith family, be strong. May we be edified. May we be, as Ephesians says, a body working well, each part working well, building itself up in love. 
God, give grace now for us to respond, not only in worship vertically, but love and sacrifice and mission horizontally. It's in your name we pray. Amen.